Welcome to the Corona of Thorns podcast. I'm Father Peter Swans, and today is the Feast of the Epiphany. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. O God, who on this day revealed your only begotten Son to the nations by the guidance of a star, grant in your mercy that we, who know you already by faith, may be brought to behold the beauty of your sublime glory through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the prophet Isaiah. Arise, shine out, Jerusalem, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord is rising on you, though night still covers the earth and darkness the peoples. Above you the Lord now rises, and above you his glory appears. The nations come to your light, and kings to your dawning brightness. Lift up your eyes and look round. All are assembling and coming towards you. Your sons from afar and daughters being tenderly carried. At this sight you will grow radiant, your heart throbbing and full, since the riches of the sea will flow to you, the wealth of the nations come to you. Camels in throngs will cover you, and dromedaries of Midian and Ephah, everyone in Sheba will come, bringing gold and incense, and singing the praise of the Lord. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, every nation on earth will adore you. Lord, every nation on earth will adore you. O God, give your judgment to the king, to a king's son your justice, that he may judge your people in justice and your poor in right judgment. Lord, every nation on earth will adore you. In his days justice shall flourish and peace till moon fails. He shall rule from sea to sea, from the great river to earth's bounds. Lord, every nation on earth will adore you. The kings of Tarshish and sea coasts shall pay him tribute. The king of Sheba and Seba shall bring him gifts. Before him all kings shall fall prostrate. All nations shall serve him. Lord, every nation on earth will adore you. For he shall save the poor when they cry, and the needy who are helpless. He will have pity on the weak and save the lives of the poor. Lord, every nation on earth will adore you. A reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Ephesians. You have probably heard how I have been entrusted by God with the grace he meant for you and that it was by a revelation that I was given the knowledge of the mystery. This mystery that has now been revealed through the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets was unknown to any men in past generations. It means that pagans now share the same inheritance, that they are parts of the same body, and that the same promise has been made to them in Christ Jesus through the Gospel. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Alleluia, alleluia. We have seen his star in the east and have come to adore the Lord. Alleluia. 
The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. After Jesus had been born at Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod, some wise men came to Jerusalem from the east. Where is the infant king of the Jews, they asked. We saw his star as it rose and have come to do him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was perturbed, and so was the whole of Jerusalem. He called together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people and inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. At Bethlehem in Judea, they told him, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, you are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you will come a leader who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men to see him privately. He asked them the exact date on which the star had appeared and sent them on to Bethlehem. Go and find out all about the child, he said, and when you have found him, let me know, so that I too may go and do him homage. Having listened to what the king had to say, they set out, and there in front of them was the star they had seen rising. It went forward and halted over the place where the child was. The sight of the star filled them with delight, and going into the house they saw the child with his mother Mary, and falling to their knees, they did him homage. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. But they were warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, and returned to their own country by a different way. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So the Magi have joined the party. Feast of the Epiphany, after the birth of Jesus, we see these three wise men rock up and come and do homage to the newborn king. You know, these three wise men, they've, they've really kind of, they've given me pause for thought this year. They kind of set your imagination wandering. Where were they from? What did they do? What was it about this star that made them think that this prophecy about the king of the Jews was something that they, they had to go and pursue, that they had to go and see? How far did they have to travel? How difficult was the journey? Did they come across many obstacles, a lot of problems? I mean... King Herod, for one, he's not an especially savoury character. I can't imagine the three wise men felt especially comfortable in his presence. And all the while, there's this determination. There's this drive. they got to keep looking. They're not put off by King Herod. They're not put off by his inquisition. I mean, you get the sense from the gospel that these wise men have been making a pretty long journey. And I suppose the other thing, the gospel doesn't really tell you how long after Jesus' birth that the wise men turned up. I mean, famously, King Herod is going to kill all the children under the age of two. So, I don't know, like, you know, was it a year later, you know, were, were Mary and Joseph hanging around Bethlehem a little bit longer? I, I mean... All of these questions that come to mind and, and it just makes you sort of want to fill out the picture a little bit. But you know what? Like, even though we're left with so many questions, the questions themselves already start to prompt a, a kind of 
clarifying image of of what these wise men, you know, must have confronted. I mean, you know, we're not talking about a simple journey. They didn't hop into a car and, you know, go for a ride. They didn't even hitchhike. Whatever their story is, I'm guessing it's a heck of a story. And all of a sudden, my mind kind of fills with admiration for them. You guys really stuck it out. Which sort of prompts me to the next series of questions. It's like, well, but what did you know about this Christ child? You know, you know, what kind of prophecy had you really cottoned on to that you linked with the appearance of this star and that, and that sent you on this journey? Obviously, they're not working out of a place of certainty because, you know, they go to Jerusalem first off and they've got questions. They want to know. Like, you know, well, where, where is this infant king of the Jews? You know, this site that we have spent so much time and effort and, you know what, let's face it, money in, in, in beholding. Like, you know, how do we get there? And it strikes me that at this point, it's interesting that we call them wise men. We don't call them knowing men. <laughs> They're not the ones who have the information. But... They're wise. They know how to orient their lives in the proper direction. And even though they don't know the path, even though they don't know the way, their wisdom is in being able to go in the right direction, even without knowledge. So they've got wisdom. They've got Guts, stickability, perseverance, right? You know, in the face of all of these difficulties and struggles, they, they just keep, keep going. Now, I tell you the other reason why the wise men have kind of been on my mind lately. It's because I've been going through one of my favorite books again. It's a book called Beginning to Pray, and the author is Anthony Bloom. Now, he was the Metropolitan Archbishop of the Russian Orthodox Church in the United Kingdom. He was a monk and an extraordinarily good communicator. He died in 2003, uh, but the book that I'm referring to, Beginning to Pray, um, was written in 1970, and it's had a really big impact on a lot of Christians. Like I said, it's one of my favourites, so you know I can highly recommend it. But at the beginning of the book, he starts out by talking about the absence of God. And, you know, why these wise men are of interest to me is because that's exactly where they start out. They start out from the place of the absence of Jesus. And so they got to go looking through trials, through difficulties, through dangers they persevere through this period of absence, of not knowing the presence of Jesus, but wanting it and seeking it. So Metropolitan Anthony Bloom takes up this theme. Why the absence of God? When we're beginning to pray, why do we so often start out with this sense that God's just not there. Well, I want to read you a couple of passages because I think these insights are both simple 
and profound. Listen to this. He says, first of all, it's very important to remember that prayer is an encounter and a relationship. A relationship which is deep. And this relationship cannot be forced either on us or on God. The fact that God can make himself present or can leave us with a sense of his absence is part of this live and real relationship. If we could mechanically draw him into an encounter, force him to meet us simply because we have chosen this moment to meet him, there would be no relationship and no encounter. We can do that with an image, with imagination, or with the various idols we can put in front of us instead of God. We can do nothing of the sort with the living God, any more than we can do it with a living person. A relationship must begin and develop in mutual freedom. If you look at the relationship in terms of mutual relationship, you will see that God could complain about us a great deal more than we about him. We complain that he does not make himself present to us for the few minutes we reserve for him. But what about the 23 and a half hours during which God may be knocking at our door and we answer, I'm busy, I'm sorry. Or when we do not answer at all because we do not even hear the knock of the door at our heart or of our minds or of our conscience or of our life. So there's the situation in which we have no right to complain of the absence of God because we are a great deal more absent than he ever is. Whoa! (laughs) Oh, doesn't that pack a punch? But you know what? He's right. He's absolutely right. And here we have these wise men. Wise because they set out to look for the child Jesus. Do they complain that they haven't found him straight away? No. Do they get despondent or discouraged when it seems to take a while, or when they find out that the journey's longer than they thought? No. They press on. So when we kneel down to pray, and it doesn't quite turn out to be the ecstatic experience that we first expected... Do we approach with a sense of humility, a sense that I need to wait for the Lord? If so, then I think we have the wisdom of the wise men to be able to start the journey and not get discouraged. But you know what? When discouragement strikes, how quickly does a rather kind of mean-spirited calculation enter into our minds and into our hearts. Suddenly we can start thinking, oh, this isn't turning out the way that I'd hoped. It's getting a bit tough. Is it worth it? I mean, meeting this newborn king of the Jews, what if it's not all it's cracked up to be and I'm on a bit of a fool's errand? Well, you know, I think... You know, if you're listening to this podcast, right, you, you're probably not in the camp that says, right, fine, I'll, I'll just give up on prayer entirely. But, but maybe there's a temptation for us to kind of just turn prayer into a bit more of a hobby, into something that we dabble in. It doesn't really cost us 
too much energy or too much time or too much heart. Kind of, we don't give up the journey, but, you know, we take the foot off the accelerator. It's a way of sort of hedging our bets, I guess. But you know what? There's a second aspect which Metropolitan Anthony points to. Listen to this. He says, The second very important thing is that a meeting face-to-face with God is always a moment of judgment for us. We cannot meet God in prayer or in meditation or in contemplation and not be either saved or condemned. I do not mean this in major terms of eternal damnation or eternal salvation already given and received, but it is always a critical moment of crisis. Crisis comes from the Greek and means judgment. To meet God face to face in prayer is a critical moment in our lives, and thanks be to him that he does not always present himself to us when we wish to meet him, because we might not be able to endure such a meeting. Remember the many passages in Scripture in which we are told how bad it is to find oneself face to face with God, because God is power, God is truth, God is purity. Therefore, the first thought we ought to have when we do not tangibly perceive the divine presence is a thought of gratitude. God is merciful. He does not come in an untimely way. He gives us a chance to judge ourselves, to understand, and not to come into his presence at a moment when it would mean condemnation. Haha, <laughs> now do you see why it's one of my favourite books? But here's the thing, it makes me think of the wise men, right? They go on, you know, a conceivably long journey in order to do what at the end of it? To give Jesus the best they have. Gold, frankincense, myrrh. Stuff that's truly precious. They're able to sacrifice something that's that's truly valuable. And I... I th- Pause for a second and think, well, well, what made it possible for them to give up things that, you know, were so valuable, were so precious? It might well be the fact of the journey, right? I've come so far. I've expended so much effort. All of this shows me, all of this reiterates to me that the encounter with this child is worth everything. So Anthony Bloom says, right, at the beginning of our prayer, when we experience this absence of God, you know what? It might just be God being merciful because, you know, you're not ready to give up what he's really asking. You don't love him the way that he loves you. And so if you came face to face with that love, it would crush us. And so we're given time to keep looking, to go on that arduous journey, to allow that journey to be one which purifies us and makes us capable of giving to God gold, frankincense, myrrh, to give him the best of what we have. A journey which is truly freeing. The wise men are wise because they know that The journey's worth it. 
It's worth the blood, sweat and tears. It's worth the gold, frankincense and myrrh. So you know what? Maybe this is just a little source of encouragement then. The Feast of the Epiphany, these three wise men become an example to you and to me that if we're languishing in the absence of God, and you know what, let's face it, there, there are periods of our lives when we really do, but if we're languishing with the absence of God, it might well be that he's asking us to take this journey, to be humble and say, Lord, I don't command you and I don't summons you. I look for you and wait for you to come to me. And then, if it seems to take longer than what's comfortable, Lord, maybe that's actually just you being merciful because I can't handle your presence just yet. And you're asking me to be ready and to be willing to give something more to give away something from which I need to repent, or to be willing to give something which I truly love, but which might not be part of your picture for me. These wise men, they weren't the knowing men. They didn't get a guarantee of what they would find when they finally encountered the newborn king of the Jews. But gee, they're wise because they didn't get knocked off their course. They didn't get discouraged. And the absence of the Lord Jesus just further inspired their searching. You know what? For 2022, let's do that. Thanks for praying with us. And may God bless you abundantly so that this day may give glory to God the Father.